Our theme for this weekend has come from Romans 4, verse 25, which says that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. Christ, our substitute, taking the penalty of our sin on himself at the cross. Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what I want to do is answer the question, what does it mean, what does it mean that Christ was raised for our justification? How did Jesus' resurrection give us justification? So in order to answer this, let's think through some things that we Uh, might know things that we can learn about his resurrection and see if we don't discover the answer uh, to this question. So first, first, I think it's helpful for us to understand and to start out with the fact that, that Christ's resurrection is more than just simply coming back from the dead. Christ's resurrection is more than than just simply coming back from the dead. We know from the Gospels that Jesus' body was in terrible shape at his death. His beard was ripped out. He was whipped and beaten in such a way that his flesh had been torn open. The crown of thorns were beaten uh, onto his head in a way that would have uh, driven deep wounds into his head. Uh, Not to mention the nails in his hands and his feet, the splintering and, and whatever other damage would have been done as he pushed up and fell back down uh, every time he would have tried to get a breath on the cross. And Jesus had just been crucified on that Friday. All this after living the last three years traveling and, and teaching in his earthly ministry, saying things like, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And remember, he said that in order to tell followers to count the cost in following him. Jesus of Nazareth did not live a glamorous life. I think it'd be safe to say that Jesus probably wouldn't have been the perfect specimen of health before his crucifixion, let alone after it. In Isaiah 53, it says this, uh, concerning the coming Messiah, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. So we might think if if we were to see Jesus, you know, he's a really special guy, right? So he must look like like a Captain America type figure or something where he walks in a room and everybody goes, whoa, who's this guy? But no, not at all. Not only was he not amazing to look at, he was despised. He was not esteemed. So all of this being put together with the physical state that Jesus was in, had he simply just woke up? Had, as he was laying his body, laying there in the tomb, has his heart, had his heart simply just started beating again? Had his eyes just opened? What would have happened? 
Well, if you think about this, going back through the Gospels, what happened to Lazarus? When Lazarus was risen from the dead, when Christ rose him from the dead, what did Lazarus eventually do again? He died. Lazarus died again. A poor guy, right? It's not the death that we're worried about so much. It's the dying part that we don't look forward to. And Lazarus had to do that twice. But Jesus didn't. Had Jesus simply come back to life in the condition that he was in, wrapped up and tied up in those burial clothes, laid in that tomb behind a sealed stone, he probably would have just died again right there in the tomb. Nobody would have known but him that it had even happened. But this is not how Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus didn't just wake back up. His body was transformed. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 42. Paul writes, What is sown is perishable. Our, our dead and buried uh, temporal bodies, they decay. What is raised is imperishable. No sickness, no death, no deterioration, no atrophy, none of that. Our bodies are sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It says, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual at his first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, that's Christ, so also are those who are of heaven. Church, that's us. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of of heaven. Christ's resurrection body was transformed. It is, and it's right to use that present tense there, not was. His body isn't a was. It is because Jesus is alive and well today, right now. Christ's resurrection body is imperishable, glorious, powerful. There is no sickness to it, no death coming no malnourishment of any kind. We would think a perfect specimen of health and more and more. Remember in the Gospels, I think of the Gospel of Luke on the road to Emmaus where his disciples didn't recognize Christ at first. And, and when they did, their eyes, when their eyes were opened, remember what happened? He was just gone. They realized who he was and he was gone. He was gone. There was no, uh, excuse me, gentlemen, but I must be leaving now. I have another appointment I must attend. And then he got up, and he got his coat, and he walked out of the room. No, he was just gone. In the Gospel of John, when the disciples were gathered together in that room, and the doors were locked, Jesus just arrives. There in the room, no knocking. Uh, he wasn't 
he wasn't there, and then he was just there. He was nowhere to be seen, and then he was there. Remember doubting Thomas. He saw what remains visible of Christ's crucifixion. Christ even invited, invited him, come, put your hand in my side. Put your fingers through the holes. And right there, it never says Thomas did that. He sees Christ. He sees him there. And Thomas does what we, I think, what the Gospel of John is telling us we all must do. At the truth of the resurrection of Christ, Thomas dropped to his knees and said, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. That is our right response. Jesus' resurrection body is physical. He can be touched. He can eat. All that kind of stuff. And Jesus' body is spiritual. He can evidently zap into and out of places at will, can't he? And he can ascend into heaven. And he's coming again. And if you remember what the end of that passage said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christians, we are going to get this same transformation as well. We will be raised and given a resurrection body just like his. And the glories of that day won't even be comparable in contrast to the sufferings of this life. That's Romans 8.18. Imagine the worst sufferings we have endured in this world. And some have suffered more than others, yes. But even the worst sufferings of this world will not even be comparable to the glories of that day. And to that we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And back to the main point here. Christ was raised... In his resurrection body. His forever eternal body. That means something. That proves something. About who he is. Okay, so so number one. Christ was raised in his resurrection body. And number two. Christ's resurrection fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. Christ's resurrection fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. Uh, One of the references we see maybe most often to the resurrection of the Christ from the Old Testament is found in Psalm 16, verse 10, where David writes, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is the grave, or let your Holy One, the one who has set apart the Anointed One, this is the Messiah, or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, This verse from Psalm 16 was referred to by both Peter in Acts 2, and uh, at the day of Pentecost, and by the Apostle Paul in Acts 13. Uh, both recorded, both using the same passage. And, and both of them were preaching at that time to Jews who had not believed that Jesus was the Holy One, the Messiah, or the Christ. They were looking back. These, these apostles were preaching the gospel, looking back to the Old Testament to show the Jewish people that the resurrection proved that Jesus is the Messiah. In Acts 2, Peter also quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, which says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Peter shares uh, this Old Testament promise as the fulfillment of Christ's resurrection and ascension. Remember in Acts 8.34, or I'm sorry, Romans 8.34, it declares that Christ is presently, now, at the right hand of God. So after the resurrection, Christ ascends and is at the right hand of God. Uh, Back in Isaiah 53, in verses 10 through 12, we see these promises. It says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief uh, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's the cross. Then it says, He shall see his offspring. Believers. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's after the resurrection. It continues, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That's the cross. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. You can't do that if you're still dead. It says, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession. There's Romans 8 again. Makes intercession for the transgressors. That's the resurrection. Also in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we see these interesting truths. Uh, Peter writes, Concerning the salvation, the prophets, so the Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched, and they inquired carefully. So the Old Testament prophets, they were communicating, thus says the Lord, and they were also searching and studying others who had gone before them, who had said, thus says the Lord, where God had said, write this down. The prophets of the Old Testament searched the scriptures. And it says they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Sufferings and subsequent glories after his death, after his resurrection. In Luke 24, speaking uh, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, Jesus said this. He said to those disciples, O foolish ones, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, and then here these words are, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. And remember, Christ didn't have an advanced copy of the New Testament on hand there to show them. Uh, He knew what was going to be there, right? But he did this all from the Old Testament. So in both of these passages, we, we see this use of the word sufferings for the cross, and then glory or glories for after the resurrection. So then, when we look back into the Old Testament and we see Uh, For instance, in Psalm 24, when we're told about the king of glory who will come into the city of Jerusalem to rule and reign. And when Isaiah speaks of the glory of the Lord of hosts reigning in Zion. When Ezekiel prophesied about the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east and entering the temple. And when Zechariah specified that that place from the east where the glorious Lord would come from was the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. Is it any wonder 
that the angels would say to the apostles, standing there east of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, looking up after watching Christ ascend into heaven in his resurrection body. Is it any wonder those angels would say, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The Old Testament prophets foretold of the coming king. The resurrected Messiah who had suffered for the sins of his people, who would be raised and who would return gloriously to rule and reign. Number three, Christ's resurrection fulfills the promises that Christ himself made. Christ's resurrection fulfills the promises that Christ himself made. Jesus literally told believers and unbelievers alike that he was going to rise from the dead. Now, because we know that Christ is risen from the dead, we can say that right now, right? We can, we can say to somebody, I'm going to rise from the dead. They'd be like, yeah, right. But we know that's true. But had Christ not risen from the dead, that'd be a much more bold statement, wouldn't it? But for Christ to say this, for Christ to say this, uh, you'd better show it. <laughs> you don't just say that. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, when Christ said, I'm going to rise from the dead, then what are we doing here, right? That's what the Apostle Paul said. As early as John 2, verses 19 through 22, after Jesus had cleansed the temple, the Jewish religious leaders, they were asking him for some sign to show his authority. Why are you doing this? How could you do such a thing? Who do you think you are? Prove it to us. And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. I'll raise it up. And the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Seeking another sign later to authenticate Jesus' claims, the Jews asked again. This is Matthew chapter 12, 38 to 40. Uh, said some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, kind of like a mockery there, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, by, way, uh, by the way, a great, a great reminder for us. What signs should we seek to prove that Jesus is who he said he is? There's one sign that he's given us. We need no other sign. He's risen from the dead. But notice that in both of these instances... The resurrection of Jesus Christ is given as the sign for any unbelief. If you were looking for proof that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, the resurrection is your proof. And Jesus also taught his disciples to expect the resurrection. Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer 
many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Uh, in John ten seventeen eighteen, 18, Jesus taught, uh, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And that helps us to look at the cross through a whole other light, doesn't it? Jesus wasn't just captured against his will and nailed to the cross and couldn't break himself free. This was all part of the plan. And Christ willingly... Remember when they went to the garden and they said, we're looking for Jesus, he said, I am he. And what did those guys do when he said that? They fell back. They fell over. At which point, you know, normally we might think, I would probably run at that point. But God's will is more powerful. They got back up and they arrested him, even after that. And Christ was there at the cross, willingly suffering the penalty of our sin, absorbing the wrath of God that we deserve. And when he knew it was done and said, it is finished, it says, then he gave up his spirit. God was in total control. And so you know why Christ raised from the dead on the third day? Because God is in total control. So Jesus' resurrection, it was a special resurrection. It wasn't just a waking back up from the dead in his mangled, crucified body. It is his forever, imperishable, glorious, powerful, and also spiritual body, which only the Messiah, only God, would have the power to give. And the Old Testament promised that the Messiah, the Christ, would first suffer for our sin, suffer the wrath and justice of God that we deserve for our own sin, that the Savior would take that wrath on himself and then be raised in glory. To sit at the right hand of the Father in glory and return to rule and reign in glory. And in the New Testament, Jesus himself, knowing what he had come to do, knowing his purpose in eternity, told those Jewish leaders. He told his disciples. And we can see these things recorded for us in Scripture. Jesus said he was going to die and that he was going to be raised from the dead. And he would have to. This was not an option. He would have to if he really is the king of glory. He would have to raise from the dead if he really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would have to rise from the dead if if God was truly satisfied with his payment for our sin. Because if Jesus isn't the King of glory, if Jesus isn't our sacrificial Lamb, our substitutionary atonement, if Christ wasn't without sin, if he wasn't a suitable sacrifice, where would he still be in the grave. In the grave. Christ died sinless to pay for our sin. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your sin, 
His sacrifice at the cross has cleared you of your guilt. Your debt is paid in full, once and for all. How can you justify that? How can you show it to be true? The grave is empty. Our glorious King sits alive at the right hand of the Father, awaiting his return. Now think with me, if you, if you were to ever try to rent a house or an apartment, if you try to get a mortgage to buy a house, what do you have to do? What if you just walked into the office of your, uh, your bank or mortgage lender and you asked them for a loan? Can I please have a loan, a mortgage to buy this house? And your lender asks, well, uh, how much do you think you can afford? And you respond, uh, kind of doing the math in your head right there and then, about, you know, X number of dollars a month. Would the lender ever say, sounds good to me. Let's shake. And then you just walk away and everything's good to go, right? Is that what happens? <laughs> Let's hope not, right? No. What do you have to do to get that loan? We know you have to prove that you have the money in your accounts, that you have the money coming in to warrant that loan. And sometimes that can be fickle, right? You can get approved for a loan, and by the time you close, get unapproved for it. Don't buy a car. (laughs) We know that this is true. You have to show warrant that you can pay it back. You have to show them you have the ability to pay that debt back. We might say it this way. That loan must be justified. You want to borrow that money? You think you can pay us back? Prove it. Do you think Christ's sacrifice was enough for you on the cross? You really think that God was entirely satisfied and justice was entirely served for your sin at the cross? Prove it. And there's the stone rolled away. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen from the dead. God is satisfied. Jesus truly is our Lord and Savior. He is our sinless sacrifice. Our sin is paid for. Our debt is gone. We've been freed from our bondage. We've been given a new life. Christ's righteousness has been vindicated and put to our account. Christians, we are saved. We're saved. It's done. Romans 1.4 says it this way. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. He is Jesus the Christ, our Lord and our coming King. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, 
Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, listen, you have every reason to do just that today. Every reason. It's not just about how I feel about it. If I don't feel it, my feelings are not following truth. We have every logical reason to repent and bow the knee just as Thomas did and declare Christ our Lord and our God. God is holy, righteous, and just. We are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody here lives on a pedestal. And because God is also merciful, gracious, and loving, He gave us Jesus Christ. And Christ lived a perfect and sinless life and died on our behalf, paying the full penalty of our sin once and for all. And He rose again on the third day, proving that He is our suitable and all-satisfying sacrifice. Christ rose for our justification. And the Bible says that whoever confesses their sins and turns to God, responding in faith, calling on Him for their salvation, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today and you've never repented and put your faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin, turn to Jesus today. Confess your sin to Him. Believe in Him. And ask Him for His forgiveness, for His rescue, and be saved. Become a child of God today. Church, Christ is risen. You can know that you know that you're a child of God. Christ is risen. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. We thank you for Christ's willingness to humble himself, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, to be amongst his creation that has sinned. The God who spoke us into existence and has every right to be our Lord and Master and and is perfectly good and righteous and loving, whom we rejected. That Christ would come and dwell among us and, and, and that we would sin against him. That the people would arrest him and mock him and beat him and crucify him, knowing that it was for our sin that he came. We thank you for the love of Christ, for the gift of Christ, and his all-sufficient death for us on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that we can know that the cross 
was where Christ paid it all, knowing that he also rose from the dead in his forever imperishable, glorious resurrection body. And God, we thank you that on top of that, when we see him face to face, we will be given imperishable, glorious resurrection bodies and live forever with you. God, we thank you for these truths. Pray, Lord, that they would encourage us, strengthen us for this day and tomorrow for that day and the next day for that. They would look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and lay aside the weights of this world and our own sin and the suffering that is here, looking forward to that glory which doesn't even compare to the sufferings of this world. And God, I do pray for those who would be here today and not know Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that they wouldn't dare walk away from here today rejecting Jesus. And Lord, we don't pray this thinking that we're better. We need, we need salvation. We needed rescue. Lord, everyone here needs rescue. And I do pray that those who are here today that don't know Christ as their Savior, that you would work in their heart. Lord, give them life. Awaken their soul. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they would hear this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and repent and cry out for your salvation and forgiveness knowing, Lord, that if they do so, they will receive it. Thank you for being so gracious, so kind. We pray all of this for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.